Thanks for listening to Westminster Insider. We'll get started right after this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I have often quipped that I would never marry an MP, still less a busy minister. I'm not certain I would volunteer to have an MP and cabinet minister as a dad either, Jack Straw wrote in his memoirs, after subjecting his wife and children to exactly that for several decades. And who can blame him? Would you want to marry an MP? An MP's spouse often lives far across the country from the politician they married. And if you dare express differing political views, you could trigger a storm. And if horror of all horrors, your partner gets too senior a job in Westminster, you find yourself placed alongside them on a pedestal and judged by the wider public. Your character, your lifestyle, your tax affairs, your outfits, commented on by a load of people you've never even met. And it's not a job, of course. You're not in power, but you're near power with all the exposure and precious little of the fun that comes with it. Spouses of politicians can be pivotal in their husbands' or wives' successes, but it can also be terrifying. Was Michael Howard's wife Sandra right when she said in 2010, a political spouse will never win the seat for their partner, but they sure as hell can lose it. In the last few years alone, the revelation of Akshata Murthy's non-dom status precipitated an almost fatal dip in popularity for her husband, the then-Chancellor Rishi Sunak. Carrie Johnson's hand in the Wallpapergate scandal and various other Downing Street ructions rocked her husband's premiership. But this isn't the story about them, because you will have heard lots about them already. Prime ministerial spouses are constantly in the news. Earlier this evening, attention returned to Murty. Carrie Johnson has announced that she's pregnant. Both Carrie Simons and the baby are... Mrs Johnson well. can confirm that she will receive a I fixed I'm there to give rate. Theresa as much support as I possibly can. I get to decide when I take the bins out. This is about the partners of the 649, the probably 600-and-something political spouses toiling away in the background, often unseen, uncomplaining, Sometimes unhappy, sometimes happy. Supporting our politicians, and so, supporting our democracy. They, of course, are no longer apron-clad women standing silently behind their husbands. I mean, these days, quite a few of them are men. Most of them have their own jobs and their own lives away from politics. But who are they? Why do they do it? Is it glamorous? Is it fun? Is it just kind of weird? 
you could spend your whole life sitting waiting for them and then they would disappoint you because a crisis would happen. If you could sit me down and say, paint what your perfect marriage looks like, this wouldn't be it. Do you wish he wasn't an MP? Yes, most of the time, yeah. From Politico, I'm Aggie Chambray. And this week on Westminster Insider, I'm speaking to a charity worker from the north of England, a constituency aide from Plymouth, an opera singer from Serbia and a vet from the Outer Hebrides and discovering, well, when and why they snogged their first political partner. And, more importantly, what life is actually like if you're married to a Member of Parliament. Okay, so it is 7.50 in the morning. I've just got to Paddington Station. I've got a train in about 15 minutes uh, and I am going to see Felicity Mercer. So I've got two different trains and then a taxi. I am on a very loud train actually through Devon, just left Exeter. I'm sort of in hour three, hour four of my journey from London. So it is, you know, it's it's a long way. It took me nearly five hours to get to the Mercer's house. It was near the border of Devon and Cornwall and over 200 miles from Westminster. Okay, it is midday, so I am very nearly at my destination. So I am just waiting at the train station for a taxi, which is going to take me to Johnny and Felicity's house. I can see a taxi here, hopefully that's it. Oh, hello, is this Fraggy? Yeah. Cool, thank you. This is a journey Tory MP Johnny Mercer makes once a week from here on a Monday morning and back on a Thursday evening. Hello, how are you doing? Good, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure, how was your trip? It's a long way. Felicity answers the door and invites me into their spotless, sunlight-filled room and sets us up on their kitchen island, looking out on their large, sloping green garden. Believe it or not, she tells me, she's known Johnny Mercer since primary school. Yes! We met when we were seven. I was obviously way cooler than him, so I actually didn't pay him any attention whatsoever. I ended up seeing him again in our late 20s. And straight away, I was like, oh my gosh, that's Johnny Mercer. And I think because I'd known him as a kid, our relationship then evolved really quickly because I knew he wasn't a serial killer. You know, I covered all those bases quite fast. And then within a few months, we were sort of engaged and off we went. Did he want to be an MP at that stage? Did you kind of encourage him to be an MP? Oh, God, no. No, we had nothing, nothing to do with politics. Didn't vote. Neither of us ever considered it until the day he came home from a day out doing the commando training and, you know, teaching the guys and girls how to pass the course. He came home literally out of the blue one day in 2014. And honestly, I didn't even know he wanted to leave the military and said... I've had enough. I want. To, I need to fix veterans' care. I've had enough. We did a bit of research and we sort of fell on our nearest, what we thought was our nearest home, which was Conservative, which in a way was a shame because most people would have said at the time, well, you're more likely to get in if you're Labour in Plymouth. But then the Labour seat wasn't available in Plymouth anyway. So I guess it all worked out in the end. But he wasn't supposed to win. I mean, he had a less, we had a less than 1% chance of winning. But because we put everything into it, we had no plan B... Felicity talks in we's rather than he's. She clearly views her husband's elected office as a partnership. And why not? From the start of his political career, she was by his side. She now works for him in his constituency office, doing casework and helping to organise visits and events and such like. But it really worked for us, as well as complementing each other's skill set. 
it just makes him feel like we, we have a team here. We have a circle of trust, which in this game is, you know, the, the game of politics, as a lot of people call it, is, is it's a really nasty business and it's not something I'd wish on anybody. But at least he's got a confident, someone he can always trust. He can say whatever he likes to, no matter how inappropriate it is, because he needs to vent or he needs to rant. And I know exactly what he's doing and what he's going through. And I would hate, absolutely hate to see him do this on his own. Mm. So for as long as he's got this job, then I'll keep this job because I, I, I'm not letting him do this on his own. It's now against the rules to employ family members unless you employed them before 2017. A review at the time found the practice could be perceived as providing personal gain to MPs and their families at taxpayers' expense. I just think it's a real shame because I think not many people I can think of would ever abuse the system, you know, by pretending to work and not working. You know, I think sometimes MP spouses understand the job better than anyone. As well as her paid job as Johnny's constituency aide, Felicity has also taken on a uh, pro bono role. She's now his defender in chief on Twitter. Highlights include her calling then newly installed Prime Minister Liz Truss an imbecile after she fired her husband from his ministerial role. I was just really cross. So I don't regret it. I would probably do the same thing again, knowing me. I'm quite hot headed. <laughs> I, I, I was just really cross with her. She began her Twitter combat after an unlikely and horrific delivery at her house. You get a parcel from the postman. Poor postman. He didn't know what he was handing me. Bless him. And and actually, annoyingly... It here. So it was here. Yeah, here. Right here. Like, oh, no, that's a really weird shape. And it was, like, flat. And I was thinking, has one of the girls left a scarf at somebody's house? Or, you know, you're just not thinking. So I rip it open. And then it took me ages for my brain to actually work out what this thing was. And then I said to Johnny, my friend was like, Johnny, it's shit! <laughs> And obviously we were in the middle of a pandemic as well, you know, and it's bodily fluid. So he kind of grabbed this thing off me and, and ran out and, and put it on the grass outside the front door and then called the um, chief super in Plymouth. I was like, oh, I've got a bit of a problem. And they, the police were brilliant and they came up straight away and they sorted it all out. But for me, it felt like that was the first time that someone had actually reached into my home and got me there. You know, all the office, all the post the office is, is screened or to London, it's all screened. But this is, it made me feel really vulnerable. I thought, oh shit, that doesn't feel good. Were you upset? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I did actually. I think I burst into tears after that. I was sh- it was the shock. Do you wish he wasn't an MP? Yes, most of the time, yeah. And do you say to him, I wish you weren't an MP? No, I mean, he knows how I feel. Like, I don't hide anything from him. I could never. But, you know, and we talk very candidly, you know, but I don't want him to feel like he's going against my wishes. I, I, in the same breath, I'll tell him how proud I am of him and how he's... He's doing an amazing job. And no, if anything, I'm telling him, keep going, you're doing brilliantly. It, it wouldn't be helpful for me to be like, oh, I wish you didn't have this job. And obviously I'm doing an entire podcast on what it's like to be married or going out with an MP. But there has also been a lot of coverage and a lot of interest in prime ministers, wives and husbands over the years. It's relentless, isn't it? I feel like it's getting worse and worse and worse though. But I think Rishi's wife is getting... Wow, she's getting it in the neck, isn't she? Down to what shoes she wears or... It's absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. But if it was me, I'd tell everyone to fuck off. But, you know, she's probably got more manners than I have. That side of things doesn't really worry me because, you know, I, I don't run a billion-dollar company. I, you know, I'm a very... I'm like every other mum and wife up and down the land. So I think if the press ever got me in number 10, I think it'd be pretty boring. 
Uh, well, apart from my mouth, I suppose. Um, but I think, you know, I, I don't know what, you know, I haven't had a remarkable life. So I'm not really sure what they would pick apart. But whether they were, you know, I think commenting on what I wore every day, you know, a lot of the time I just put my wellies on and put a hat on so I don't have to brush my hair. Felicity Mercer is cataloguing her time as an MP spouse with an annual scrapbook. She assured me she is not writing a diary because, of course, she wouldn't be the first MP spouse to spill her and her partner's most salacious secrets upon them departing office. Michael Gove's former wife, the journalist Sarah Vine, would sometimes reveal secrets about their domestic lives and her husband's political career in her colourful Daily Mail columns. And in 2020, former minister Hugo Swire's wife, Sasha Swire, wrote an entire memoir based on her time as a political spouse and called it The Diary of an MP's Wife. One memorable entry rants at being overlooked at a garden party by people only interested in speaking to her partner for which she promises to carry revenge in her heart until her dying day. Another reveals David Cameron's, uh, joke that the perfume she was wearing made him want to push her into the bushes. Other political spouses find they become the story whether they like it or not. The most recent example, of course, was Boris Johnson's third wife, Carrie, whom he married nine months after becoming prime minister. And while Carrie Johnson has not yet written a memoir, can you even imagine? She was constantly in the news during her years in number 10. She even found herself compared to a Lady Macbeth type figure when a very public feud spelled the end for Dominic Cummings and Lee Kane as Downing Street advisors. Perhaps the difference with, with Carrie was that she was of a political background and, you know, I think wanted to use the role in number 10 politically and to influence policies and things. This is Mark Fletcher, Tory MP for Bolsover. It's inevitable if you're the spouse of the sort of leading politician in the country, there will be some attention. But I often think it goes way, way too far. For the Conservative Party, there's a group called Conservative Wives, Husbands and Partners... Um, which is spouses and partners of, of MPs. And this is Mark's husband, Will Fletcher. He's a newly elected Tory councillor in Bolsover's Clown West. The most recent time I saw them was, was at conference and, and a bunch of us went and had a drink and probably bitched about, <laughs> about our husbands. It was all husbands that we were, we were bitching about, but, you know, and, and shared, shared experiences. And it can be just such a relief to talk to someone who gets it and understands it and has the same things going on and has all of the same challenges and to be like, okay, this is normal for for political spouses to be finding these things difficult. I've come to see Mark and Will on a bank holiday Monday in their flat in East London. They're a lovely couple, both in their 30s, sitting side by side, sometimes hand in hand, occasionally separated, when Mark is vaping. They live with their two dogs and a flatmate, but on that Monday, it's just the three of us in their flat overlooking the railway. They got married in 2016. At around the time of the wedding, they did an interview with The Times in which Mark admitted to being a, uh, quote, groomzilla. I did. I regret that tremendously. But was it true? It was very true. He knew exactly what he wanted. It was a non-election year. We are sad enough that that is actually something that we planned because we knew there was going to be a general election in 2015 and I was a candidate. So we put it back, didn't we? Okay, and Will, I found a quote from you in that article where you said, and this was obviously before Mark 
became an MP. Yep. There's part of me that slightly romanticises being an MP's spouse. <laughs> yes. Is it as good as you thought? Is it worse? How is it? So it's definitely not the romantic notion that I had, which I knew it was never going to be. I had this notion of me going to village fairs and judging the best cake and the best marmalade and just like living some kind of I guess you know I look at the states and I see the first lady and I imagine that's what it's going to be like it's definitely not like that at all it's a really difficult life you know I don't think it's it's something that you should go into lightly and kind of without realizing that it's going to be difficult but I see how much the job means to Mark and how happy and how proud he is to be doing it and as as a spouse I'm happy to be supporting him and you know understand the the sacrifices that means we have to make why difficult can you kind of break that down for me yeah so I um I mostly live in the constituency up in Derbyshire I'm very happy up there in the peace and quiet obviously when parliament's sitting Mark is in London four days a week so when parliament's sitting he's away more than he's at home so that's challenging um we've been re-watching the West Wing at the moment and there's an episode when Leo McGarry the chief of staff is having an argument with his wife because he's forgotten it's their anniversary and he says to her this is more important than my marriage I don't think it's more important than Mark's marriage but there are times when other priorities have to come first and you just have to kind of understand that and accept that as a spouse and it doesn't say anything about how he feels about me but it doesn't mean it's not difficult um, so actually wedding anniversary is a good example we've had the past three years we've not actually seen each other on our wedding anniversary because we've not been in the same place I think we're quite lucky in that we don't have kids. We do have two dogs, but you are living across two different places uh, as an MP. There, there is a huge demand on your time when you are in the constituency. So it's even when I'm home, it's not like I'm sat in the front room or in the kitchen. I have to divide up my time between different events in the constituency, between you know surgeries or whatever it is, going to see people and campaigning. Like Felicity Mercer, Will Fletcher has had all manner of online abuse levelled at him. We all know that abuse abuse and intimidation is, is really an issue in politics. And I think the impact that that has on families is something that we often don't think about. You know, if, if an MP is going to get something sent to their home address, as sometimes happens, it's not going to be the MP that, who's there probably who opens it. It's going to be a member of the family. As a recent example, Mark's, Mark's just been a big hit on anti-vax Twitter because of a, a letter that he wrote to one of his constituents and I, I was the foolish one who went and looked at, at what people were saying about it and seeing some of the things that people were saying and actually finding the person who'd mentioned me by name and finding that very violating and scary that, that there are people out there who think like that I didn't know that bit I've not mentioned him because I knew it would I knew it would wind him up and he'd tell me I shouldn't have looked. I'm fine with people not liking me. That is part of the job. I'm fine with people disagreeing with me. That's a much more important bit of the job. But there's no reason to be on the internet sort of mouthing off about my husband. There's just no reason at all. I had a really tough time after the general election in 2019. I'd spent a long time through Mark has alluded to various various general elections and various other kind of ups and downs in our lives. I'd spent a long time thinking it will be better when X thing happens um, and ended up in a very bad place because of that. So I'm actually much more determined just to live live in the moment. Was it the general election that was... You don't have to talk about it if you don't want no, to. No, I'm, just... I'm happy to talk about it. I've talked about it quite a lot. Um, I've always had difficulties with depression and I've had ups and downs. By the time of the election 2019, we had been through... 2017 election was was horrendous. 
it was really really difficult um i remember my colleague at the charity i was working at the time saying oh apparently theresa may is going to make a statement in downing street and i was just like sat in the corner in my chair rocking backwards and forwards kind of dreading the thought of it because 20 2017 was, was particularly tough because it was a snap election you know it makes it so much more difficult and there have been various other things, you know, Mark had been through a difficult patch, we'd been through a period when he changed jobs, we'd been through a period when he was out of work and we were worried about money, you know, all these things had kind of accumulated. And then, you know, elections are very busy periods, the election came and the election went, and I was suddenly in a position where we were still living in London, Mark was going out of the flat before I got up and coming home after I'd gone to bed. And it was very isolating. And then in the very beginning of 2020, I cried every day for a month. Um, and right at the end of that period, I had I had seven days of quite intensive suicidal thoughts. Um, and that was when I thought, actually, I need to change something here. I spoke to Mark. I saw the GP. Um, I did six months with an absolutely brilliant clinical psychologist. Um, and ever since then, I've been on a on an upward trajectory with its with its bumps in the road. Um, but because I was kind of finally willing to to own up to to the difficulties that I was facing and, and ultimately, you know, to bring those into the relationship and to talk about them, because if we don't talk about things and, you know, I come from very much from a background of, of a family that doesn't talk about anything and just bottles it all up and hopes that it will be OK, that didn't work. So so I've had to learn to do to do the opposite. Yeah, it's. Uh... There's a, a horrible political point uh, to make here, which I apologise for the segue in, but um, obviously as an MP you focus on certain things and, and things that you're passionate about, but I've never gone into that much detail about why I'm really passionate about mental health. I try and sort of keep it very top line, but as someone who's sort of lived mental health issues, um, either through friends or indeed through my spouse or indeed through my relatives, um, it's very stark uh, and when it's right in front of you and as an MP sometimes you feel sort of duty bound to run in that direction and try and see what you can do. I mean this was around the time of the sort of the lockdown, first lockdown in in 2020. Um, So I was a, a new MP. I think we'd only got our office in Parliament maybe a couple of weeks before you know and all of a sudden my staff were sent home. We'd only just sort of got to know each other in some cases, only just employed them. And we had however many thousand constituents asking questions. Um, and it wasn't like we knew all the answers. In lots of cases, we, you know, with COVID, it was sort of all new and we were trying to make it up. And I felt horrendous because I had this duty of a job of 80,000 people waiting for you to sort of answer their specific questions and a husband who's in a terrible position and I'm not sure I did either of them to uh, the level I would want to do but that's pretty much me Um, but it is when you leave the flat every day to sort of go to parliament and try and do what you can and you spend all your time there thinking about Will at home and then you spend all your time at home thinking about your constituents and it was it was horrendous, really horrendous. But I will say the parliamentary party has always been very supportive. And I know, for instance, that Mark, you know, told the whips so that they knew that if he ever felt he had to leave in an emergency, that would be fine. You know, and it's it's great that that the whips office can provide that kind of support and that and that backup and understand what it's like, because they're all in the same position of, of juggling home life and, and work life.
In recent years, more and more politicians have been willing to open up about the impact that politics has on their mental health. But I've never before heard an MP's spouse talk about the impact it can have on them. Will, how would you score being married to an MP out of 10? <laughs> oh God, I feel like I'm really going to be judged by Mark, whatever I say here. I mean, I, I guess, I mean, I'm, there's a part of me that's tempted to say four out of 10. No offence, husband. Because it's difficult, you know, and I guess... I guess, in a way, it's the same as being an MP. You know, being an MP is not for everyone. Not everyone is able to put up with what that life entails. Being a spouse is, is exactly the same. Not everyone's willing to make all of the sacrifices and things that that entails. I am, you know, and that's that's why it works. It's still not necessarily the married life I would choose if you could sit me down and say paint what your perfect your perfect marriage looks like this wouldn't be it you know these would not be the circumstances I would choose but they're the circumstances that we have and I love him fairness if you were going to pick a perfect married life you wouldn't have married me in the first place so like this is sort of the step one went really wrong step two of being a political spouse just followed that but Mark if Will said pack it all in like I'm, I'm done would you would you do it? Not now, because I'm not done yet. I think maybe five, ten years' time, if I could see the fruits of my labour. I think I couldn't stop now, uh, because I don't feel like I've done what I wanted to do. And the reason, it, it would feel like I'd wasted time, because I haven't seen the things that I want to achieve happen yet. Uh, I think if some of those were in place and we were 60 to 70% of the way through what I wanted to achieve and he said it, uh, I would probably stop at that point. Um, But I couldn't now because the deal that I made with myself a long, long time ago was to try and change the world. And and I'm happy to clarify, (laughs) we're not about to have an argument about that when you leave because I absolutely wouldn't ask him. Um, And, you know, that also comes to... Mark talked about how we've moved... You know, we've moved to the town we're in in the constituency and I've become embedded in that community. And I care about that community as well now. So, of course, I want them to still have Mark as their MP because I think he's the best person for the job. So there are layers and layers and layers of reasons that I wouldn't even dream of asking that of him. The same things come up when you speak to political plus ones. Sacrifice comes up the most. Obviously, if you're married to a prime minister your entire life can be put on hold while your partner's in Downing Street. But so too can those of even backbench MPs or junior ministers, as I heard from numerous plus ones, from Felicity and Will, and from others too, on and off the record. Coming up after the break, affairs, a relationship conducted 600 miles apart, and Eureka, a possible solution to the difficulty of being married to an MP. Stay with us. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. 
Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. In 1732, the first Lord of the Treasury, Robert Walpole, and his wife, Lady Walpole, moved into number 10 Downing Street. Years then went by before anyone else moved in. Prime ministers and their wives shunned the place for their own, much nicer houses. But now it is the norm for every PM and their spouse to live in Downing Street. For all other MPs, you have a choice for your main residence, the constituency or London. Now, sometimes, helpfully, your constituency consists of a beautiful country pile just a few dozen miles out of London, but sometimes it's an island 600 miles from Westminster. Hi, and this is Kate. Hello, how are you doing? Thank you so much for making the time. Kate Carmichael, wife of MP Alistair Carmichael, is a vet. She serves all 16 of the inhabited Scottish islands in Alistair's constituency of Orkney and Shetland. We finally spoke last week, having had to push our interview back a few times. First, because she had some emergency calf births. Second, she had an operation on a dog. And finally, she had to deal with a sick parrot. So we had a dog that had eaten bone and it had licked a lot of hair as well and it had made a sort of a horrible spiky brick inside its intestines that we had to remove. And a sick parrot? Yes, the parrot is sick. Oh my God. Um, it is still alive. <laughs> That's good to hear. When Kate and Alistair first met, they were both students, but the now Lib Dem MP was already interested in politics. I can remember him recording the music to play from the megaphone, the speakers on top of your car, because that's what you did in those days. You drove around and played music and told people to vote for you. I think he had Take a Chance on Me by ABBA. I didn't really expect he would ever be elected, really, because he was a Liberal Democrat. (laughs) But in 2001, Alistair Carmichael defied his wife's low expectations and won his first of six elections. As soon as he was elected, it became apparent that he wasn't going to be able to be there as much as he thought he might have been able to be. I realised that we couldn't make a massive thing about him coming and going. Because I think you could spend your whole life sitting, waiting for them, and then they would disappoint you because something, a crisis would happen and they wouldn't be able to come home. He wasn't very reliable. I remember when the boys were probably maybe about six and two, I wanted to go away to a conference, a veterinary conference, and it meant being away for the whole weekend. So I arranged it in Alistair's diary that he was going to be there to look after the boys. But I actually didn't really believe that it would definitely work. So I also arranged for somebody else to be available to look after them. And sure enough, a couple of days before there was a crisis and he couldn't get home. But it meant that I could still go. Do you have any advice for anyone who's marrying an MP? I guess that it depends on what you do with your life and what you do for yourself, if you know what I mean. But I think we realised right at the beginning that we couldn't spend our time waiting for 
um, Alistair to be there to live our lives. Like we just we cracked on with it and enjoyed the times when we were together and tried not to mind when we weren't. If you know what I mean? And that's we were able to do that um, pretty well, I think. I don't know what I'd do if he's home all the time. We might not manage to stay together. <laughs> Kate Carmichael's philosophy was to stay out of Alistair's political life as much as possible. But not every spouse has that aim, or even that choice. So what do you do when you get thrust into the political world with all the rules and none of the knowledge? Well, a book does actually exist that might be able to help, for Tory spouses, at least. A how-to guide, if you will. Written by Alicia Collinson, wife of Damien Green. Politics for Partners, which I'm holding right now, offers advice on uh, raffle etiquette, conversational traps to avoid, and it includes a warning that even in the 21st century, not everyone is comfortable with you breastfeeding your child at public events. One section in the book reads, it's a difficult balance to strike between being entertaining and saying nothing interesting. Another urges spouses eat before events to avoid suggestions of greediness if you scoff too many canapes. This book, would you believe it, was written to replace an even more out-of-date pamphlet produced by the Parliamentary Christian Wives Fellowship that instructed women that if they look good, they'll feel good. This was handed out to all Tory prospective candidate spouses. After Collinson read that, she tracked down then-leader Michael Howard and told him the book was anachronistic and outrageous and shouldn't be given to people. So he said, OK, you write a new one, which he did. But her book now is 15 years old, and the MP who lent it to me suggested it may need updating once again. Fortunately, an unlikely candidate is on the case. So the Confessions of a Westminster Wife will um, be published soon. Opera singer Nirvana Bridgen, wife of former Tory MP Andrew Bridgen. He now sits as an independent, having been kicked out of the party for incendiary comments he made about COVID vaccines. I'm writing this book because, you know, it's it's a very complex role. And basically um, what I learned is that political spouse is undervalued. You are an avid tweeter and an avid defender of your husband. Do you feel as a wife, that's the role you have to take on? When my family is under attack, yes, I did feel compelled to talk because, you know, the party crossed the line when they weaponized the mental health um, to my husband. So when, when these things are happening, and one thing is really to criticize someone's political, political views or you know, their, the, his uh, actions. But when they're trying, trying actively to destroy one person or, or family father, like a leader of the family, let's say, then that's a different level. So the Conservatives obviously say that they expelled your husband because he said that the COVID vaccine was the biggest crime against humanity since the Holocaust, which was criticised um, by the Border Deputies of British Jews, among other people. So they obviously feel that that was an unacceptable thing to say. It can be argued that it, it was insensitive, and he did apologise about that. But it's very clear that they took this like and turned it, is weaponized it, let's say. Nirvana is, like her MP husband, slightly, OK, very, out on a limb here. 
But it's a reminder that for many loyal political spouses, wherever they go, you go. Of course, that loyalty doesn't always go both ways. It's obviously impossible to do a whole podcast episode on what it's like to be married to an MP without touching on affairs. There's no data on how many affairs happen in Westminster, but wandering around the bars, you hear a lot about how the late night common sitting hours and solo London living can and always has affected marital bliss. Nirvana has no doubt it is an issue for some. Well, I think all sorts of things are happening, <laughs> especially in the, in the, you know, after the hours. So many times people, like women even coming and I was there and they would give the phone numbers or cards or try to make some moves, let's say, uh, even in front of me. Imagine then what's going on with when, when wives are not there. So, you know, politicians are easy praise, to be honest, because, you know, they're always there in their bubble. And then with few compliments and few drinks, I think they are like really easy targets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's true. But can I just, so when you say you've seen women, so when you've been with Andrew, women in Westminster yeah. come up. Yeah, definitely. These politicians generally, they get this kind of celebrity status without being celebrities, you know? <laughs> Infidelity aside, having spoken to a fair few political spouses while making this podcast, it sounds, well, really hard to be married to someone who lives in a different place most of the time. But, seeing as it's always nice to end the podcast on a positive note, I tracked down two people who found one way to make dating an MP more manageable by doubling the number of MPs in the relationship. There have historically been lots of MP couples. Ed Balls and Yvette Cooper, Ellie Reeves and John Cryer, and Esther McVeigh and Philip Davies, to name a few. This is, in fact, so much of a phenomenon that my colleague Annabelle Dixon pulls together a political power couple list every Valentine's Day. But there's something different about my next couple. A political power couple, yes. But unlike the others, they do not share a political persuasion. David Linden is the world's loudest snorer. He was once staying at my house and my sister was also staying and she was two rooms away and she woke up hearing his snoring. That's the Labour Party's Cat Smith in her flat that she shares with boyfriend slash political rival, the SNP's David Linden. She and David both broke up with their spouses when they entered Parliament and instead started dating each other. They met in 2017, but didn't get together until 2021. So you made the first move? I held your hand. Yeah, you took my hand. We'd left work and we were walking in the same direction and I just decided to hold his hand. Yeah, and I think as well that once you start messaging you know, another MP from another party more than you're messaging your staff... It's probably a kind of fairly clear indication that yeah, it's maybe going a bit further. But yeah, you, you made the first move. So. Yeah, I held your hand and we didn't look back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. That's it. That feels very tame. It does. <laughs> this is a family programme, Kat. <laughs> they kept their relationship secret for a while, but finally, many months down the line, as things got more serious, they decided they had to fess up to their respective parties. Deep breath. So I had to phone up Ian Blackford, who was the SNP leader at Westminster at the time, and you know, go on the phone and start kind of like talking to him about I don't know some random bill or something. He's like, "Why are you phoning me?" Eventually, he's like, "Oh, it's uh, it's just to let you know I'm I'm in a relationship with Labour MP." He's like, "All right, okay." And I was like, hey, "They're actually in the shadow cabinet," and out of nowhere, he was like that to me. He's like, "Oh, is it Angela Rayner?" And I was like, "No, no, it's definitely not the, the shadow deputy prime minister, Ian." 
I guess it does lead to a more serious point about how much you guys have to keep politics at the door and not kind of how the flow of information works when you're obviously having kind of confidential political party discussions Mm. in the same, actually very large, (laughs) flat. And how how does that actually work for you guys? I mean, like, yeah, I suppose, yeah, occasionally you end up having to do like a Zoom call that you've already gone home for the evening. And yeah, I, I just don't hear the stuff that you're doing, David, and I'm assuming you're doing the same. Like, it's just that thing where I wouldn't, like, there's a firewall you know, my relationship is important to me, so I'm not going to be putting that at risk. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we would never seek to kind of politicise something. So, I mean, there have been occasions where, you know, there's been a Zoom call that Kat probably has heard something but wouldn't use it politically no. and, and likewise as well. I mean, it's they just like... And our relationship is kind of so much bigger and more important than politics. Um, at the end of the day, you know, despite the kind of aches and pains that we have, you know, we are still only in our 30s and, you know, we're not going to be politicians for the rest of our lives, but, you know, we do want to spend the rest of our lives together and, you know, we're not going to start kind of like going for some short-term political advantage over each other. Um, I, I think that's probably how we, we have these kind of like demarcation lines where we just won't talk about some of this stuff. We sometimes sit together in the tea room, which is controversial because yeah. there's like, obviously like, the tea room is like zoned into like party groupings. It's like sacrosanct. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, it's just a mess. Yeah. One former Labour whip, you know, used to get really, really aggrieved about me sitting in the Labour end of the tea room. Um, and likewise, <laughs> used to get quite aggrieved about Kat sitting in the SNP end of the tea room. Um, and, you know, it just seems like such an unnatural thing to get upset about. Um, but in a building that is so kind of governed by convention. Okay, so back to the geography and the next election. If you lose your seat, I'm sorry to say this, but if you lose your seat, it would probably be to Labour. How does that work for Kat? So would you campaign, have you campaigned up in David's seat for Labour, obviously? (laughs) (laughs) Obviously. I don't think I've door-knocked in your constituency, David. We'd find tremendous support for the SNP if you had, obviously. Obviously, we find 100% support for the SNP in Glasgow East, and then as soon as you cross the boundaries, it's all in play. Of course, this will come in really, really helpful when we have post-election, when we have the negotiations of a minority Labour government and the (laughs) SNP wielding all the power. I think you'll find it be a Labour majority. I don't think so. I think it's going to be a a minority Labour government, and Kat and I are going to be doing the back-channeling. No, we're not. And... You know, I'm going to have a sports centre in every street corner. We're going to have all these new motorways. We're going to extract all these concessions. There's a lot of this relationship. The streets of Glasgow. Progressive alliance. Paved with gold. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you heard it here first. So for SNP. Yeah, like most of our colleagues, if they've got a partner, tend to be apart from their partner for part of the week. And for us, we're very similar. In fact, potentially we could see more of each other than some of our partners see. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of our colleagues see <laughs> you their partners. Carry the bag there. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh, Exclusive relationship. Yeah, indeed, indeed. But yeah, no. So, I mean, I think we probably do consider ourselves relatively lucky insofar as you know we're only really apart, as I say, like two, two nights a week or something like that. Whereas I think some of our other colleagues mm. have got it a lot worse. Life as an MP is changing. Far more MPs now make their homes in their constituencies than used to be the case in decades gone by. That means partners who live sometimes hundreds of miles from their main place of work in Westminster. And many more of those partners now have their own busy and important careers to think about beyond the traditional fare of opening supermarkets and village bake sales. I didn't get the sense that any of the partners were doing this because they wanted to be close to power. More, they were willing to sacrifice and put up with it because they genuinely believed their partners had the privilege of trying to make a difference. One Tory MP, departing at the next election, 
told me they've been asking other colleagues who are also standing down next year how their spouses have reacted to the news. Every single one of them, he told me, is delighted, his own wife included. After all these decades of service, she says she's finally getting the person she loves back from the grubby grip of Westminster. And what political spouse could want more than that? Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Westminster Insider. If you've enjoyed it, do please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a comment. And we really do love comments on social media too. And don't forget, you can go back and listen to past episodes, including Jack's episode from season five, Cold Water Swimming with Johnny Mercer, Felicity's husband. My producer this week was Eve Streeter of Whistledown Productions. Here at Politico, my executive producer was Christina Gonzalez, and my editor is Jack Blanchard. We'll be back next week. See you then. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I am a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you.